everyone. Our World Bank EdTech team is speaking with educators globally to learn how they're innovating during COVID-19. We're drawing lessons for how we can continue learning during the pandemic and accelerate learning and build back better after the pandemic. Today, you're listening to a conversation between Dr. Buckley, Chair of the Sierra Leone Teaching Service Commission and World Bank Education Specialist, Himdat Bayusuf, with today's host, World Bank EdTech Consultant, Sharon Zakaria. They're discussing how educational radio has been used in Sierra Leone to support continuity of teaching and learning during COVID-19, and lessons leveraged from the use of educational radio during the 2014 Ebola pandemic. The Teaching Service Commission, a part of the Sierra Leone Ministry of Basic and Senior Secondary Education, led the work on educational radio in Sierra Leone during COVID-19. Sharon Zakaria and I work with the World Bank's Global Education Technology team. Hi, I'm Stanella Beckley. I'm chair of the Sierra Leone Teaching Service Commission with oversight of the radio teaching program. Hi, my name is Himdad Bayusuf. I'm an education specialist at the World Bank working on the West and Central Africa region. Thank you so much, Dr. Beckley and Himdat for joining us today. So let's start by understanding how education radio has been used in Sierra Leone to support teaching and learning during Ebola and how you've managed to adapt it during COVID-19 based school closures. It was a longer period, the Ebola outbreak, and funds were available to negotiate with a radio station that broadcast all the lessons nationwide. When the COVID pandemic broke out, we gathered the teachers who had taught during the Ebola period on radio and asked those who managed the programs at the time to give us feedback of the radio teachers and their performance. We were able to recruit some of them for the new program during the COVID pandemic. We brought them together in a workshop and we discussed What do we put out there for the students? There's limited time on radio because the ministry also had information, education and communication programs on the COVID to inform the public about precautionary measures that should be taken. We had sufficient slots on radio to air programs for students. And we had to find out how many of these programs we could air, how many lessons, what subjects. We rely on assessments, reports to zero in on specific areas in which students are having difficulty and have teachers deliver lessons that would help the children to understand better. We decided that we should have lessons on the core subjects of mathematics, integrated science, English language, language arts, literature in English. And then we had the teachers come into a two-day workshop to plan sample lessons, to develop the scripts, but to actually present the scripts. We wanted to know what approaches they were going to use, how interactive it was all going to be. We gave them feedback. We went on to look at their presentation, their delivery in terms of radio voice. We had to give them a few tips. Schools closed on the 31st of March. On the 6th of April, we were ready with our first radio lesson. Meanwhile, we had informed people that the radio lessons were going to start. We informed them through the other radio stations, through flyers, district offices, the ministry's offices, all the 
officers inform the public in these states that the lessons were going to start. If you can give us a sense of how lessons are structured and the engagement of the students and what you learnt from doing these lessons in Ebola that you tried to channel and improve in the radio lessons during COVID. We try to make the lessons interactive. These are one hour lessons. The teaching itself would be done for 45 minutes and there would be 15 minutes of questions and answers at the end of the lesson. And that's for feedback from students or their parents. Mostly we expected the students to ask questions, which they do. Even the music lesson, there's music every Sunday. They give feedback. They ask questions on the music lessons as they do in the core subject areas. But we would have liked to have more feedback from those for whom the lessons were intended. Some radio teachers have been very innovative, even though we expected just one person to deliver a lesson. In a subject like French, there were two teachers and they took it in terms to ask questions and reply to those questions. There was a program in which there were students, maybe one or two in the studio who would ask questions. So in that way, there was some interaction. There was a semblance of a classroom simulation situation where students would ask questions that were built into the lesson. What struck me was that there were students in parts of the country, you knew that these were students in schools that were not doing too well and that they were not at the same level as the lessons that were prepared for them. A JSS3 student in a remote part of the country listening to a radio lesson at the end of the lesson, that student will ask a question and you will know that they are not yet at that level in their class, that they are probably at the level of JSS2 or JSS1. It was very obvious to us. And these were the students that really we should target because these are the students that are not doing too well. But we appreciated the fact that they would ask questions at the end of the lesson because they could not understand or the pace was too fast every month we try to have a feedback session, a review and planning with the radio teachers. At some point, we brought some NGOs together, local and international NGOs, Save the Children, World Vision, Plan International, and we planned lessons for teachers who needed support on how to deliver instructional methods and classroom management. We also had Plan International, of course, Plan is very much interested in gender issues and so are the other international NGOs. So it was decided that we could have a program for girls on issues that concern girls, their education, their protection, their health. We had to reach out to the male members of the family, the fathers, the brothers, the uncles, to allow their girls to listen to this program because there was a particular program for girls. I remember recording a statement for these significant males in the households to get them also, not just the mothers and the girls listening to the program, but themselves as significant males in these families to listen to the programs that would benefit girls, their daughters, their nieces, their granddaughters. And the plan on UNFPA it was came in in a big way to work with the counseling specialists in the ministry to develop the radio lessons around girls' education and gender. 
the radio teachers, we had to give them a stipend for taking part in the program. We had to pay them because this was during the lockdown. And there it was that we saw how dedicated these people were. During the lockdown, when we had to have passes for them because there were police patrols all around the city, there were barricades. And these teachers had to get to the radio station in the ministry. We provided transport for them to get to the station. But again, we did not want to reach only students. We also wanted to reach teachers. But that did not quite take off until later, just before the exams, when we had a program for teachers teaching literacy and numeracy in the beginner's classes, primary grades. We thought we could build a radio program around literacy and numeracy for the early grades, which we did. And to support these teachers teaching these early grades, we also developed manuals for them. These teachers were supposed to be listening to the radio lessons from their homes while going along with the lessons in the manuals and listening to the radio at the same time. But it turned out that many of these teachers did not have radios. They decided on their own that they would prefer to meet in small groups in designated places, groups of four or five, where if somebody had a radio, they would sit with that person. We had coaches and mentors who would sit with these teachers with their radios and listening to the programs. We targeted these teachers because these were the teachers teaching in the poor performing schools. There were some 11,000 of them. We could only reach about 4,000 of them. We had two dedicated telephones and numbers in the studio, but the teachers also had their own personal phone lines. And the students will call them at night the following day and the day after asking questions. They appreciated that there were students listening to their programs. Sometimes students would call them to say, oh, ma'am, I appreciated that lesson on ABC. Can you repeat that? Or can you send us the recording? With the support of UNICEF, there's an ongoing assessment to see how people are finding the programs. We would like at some point in the future to have a proper evaluation of the radio program. Can you talk about feedback that you got from the families, from the students, and how this feedback was meshed back into the radio lessons to be able to improve them on the go? The most feedback we had from the students was that the pace was too fast. Could teachers slow down? We have a six-year primary school cycle and a three-year junior secondary school cycle and a three-year senior secondary school cycle. There are three levels, JSS 1, 2, and 3. At the end of JSS 3, students take the public exams called the Basic Education Certificate Exam for entrance into the senior secondary level. When the examinations were approaching, we decided to tailor the programs to suit the needs of students taking these public exams. Students in primary six who were taking the national primary school exams, we targeted MPSE, primary grade six. We targeted JSS three, students who were getting ready to move into senior secondary school. And we also targeted SSS3, that's the end of the senior secondary school. Those were taking the West African school certificate exams. We found something very interesting. You would think that JSS3 lessons were targeting JSS3 students. No, 
they were not targeting only students in those classes. There were students in the lower classes of JSS3, were also JSS2, were also listening to lessons in the JSS3 year and benefiting from those lessons. It was like they were preparing themselves, especially the brilliant ones at the lower JSS2 level. They were catching up on JSS3 lessons and even senior secondary level one were listening to JSS3 lessons as a sort of remedial to catch up on what they may have lost. It benefited those who needed to benefit from these lessons. The teachers also benefited from these lessons that were targeting their students. They were learning, especially in those parts of the country where the teachers were not qualified to teach those subjects at those levels. They were listening in too. Some parents also sent feedback to say, oh, these lessons reminded them of their school days. What was done as a communication strategy to build public awareness and excitement around this radio programming? I had a lengthy statement on the radio teaching program, which was aired on radio, getting parents, families, fathers, brothers to have their children listen to the program, especially the girls, because there was a particular program called Life Skills targeting girls to listen, and even the fathers to listen to the life skills programs. So that was a message aired on radio in English and in Creole as well. But that was not reaching everyone. So we had to devise other ways of reaching the general public. People are talking about Facebook and social media, but how many people have access even to smartphones to read these messages on social media? So we thought of reaching the masses and the way to reach the masses is to reach them where they are, in the marketplaces and the carpentry shops. And this was precisely what we did. We had jingles in English and in Creole, the language of mass communication in the country. And we had these vehicles with loudspeakers. These vans went around the marketplaces informing the public about the radio lessons, the frequencies, encouraging them to listen to the programs. And it worked. One Saturday, I went to the market and I saw two young girls and I asked them if they were going to school and they said yes. And I said, do you listen to the radio teaching program? And it was their father, in fact, who answered. The dad was the butcher. And he said, oh, I get my girls, these two girls, to listen to the program. So I was encouraged by that. It showed that even people who work in marketplaces and carpentry shops and tailoring shops, boutiques, were getting the message and were getting their children to listen to the programs. We have been fortunate that we have not only worked with teachers who are teaching in the government schools, in the public schools, we have also worked with teachers who teach in the private schools. The private schools have access to all kinds of facilities. They have access to the internet. They can download lesson plans. They can do research. They can develop their own programs. They can also reach out to their own students during the lockdown. So we have to bring in the private schools to the radio teaching program and they work hand in hand with us. And of course, we have the community radio stations and those who manage those stations. Some of them at the inception gave their service entirely. We didn't have to pay a cent. We didn't have any funds when we started. It was only after a while that World Vision offered to pay the radio teachers. Now we have free, managed by the World Bank, 
which has made provision for support to the radio teaching program and other online modalities. The community radio stations that offered their services freely, they were very keen for their students in those communities to listen to the program. They did all that they could to make sure that the students listened. They even undertook some mobilization efforts to get people in their communities to know that the program is on and that the parents should allow their children to listen. So the community radio stations, members of the communities, even regions chiefs, once they knew that the program was on, they were very keen for their students in their communities to listen. We could not reach out because we can't send our officers to these distant places. We reached out to them through our district offices and they took it on. We're grateful to all of these people. And of course, Plan International, UNFPA, UNICEF donated print materials, stationary materials for children in schools that were not doing too well, so that when we developed programs around the exams, the junior secondary school exams, the basic education certificate exam, and the national primary school exam for children leaving primary school for junior secondary school, UNICEF kindly donated stationery for these children to listen to the program on radio, to take notes. We attempted work with Orange, but I don't know how far we got. We're still trying to engage them so that they can give airtime, so that teachers can listen on their radio, on their phones. I would really like to congratulate and thank Dr. Beckley and the Teacher Service Commission and of course the Ministry of Basic and Secondary Education for all the work that they've really done because from the get-go, the leadership that the minister took in establishing immediately an emergency education task force that had several pillars of which continuous education learning was one of the top pillars within the COVID-19 response. The decision to close the schools was something that took place very, very quickly, even before the outbreak expanded based on the experience with Ebola. The World Bank, we've been participating in weekly coordination meetings with the government and various development partners that Dr. Berkeley mentioned. So there's been a lot of support to ensure that the response is a national response and not only pilot responses. The World Bank is supporting the government of Sierra Leone with respect to focusing resources on education. The free project is a World Bank funded basic education project that seeks to support and to improve the management of the education system, teaching practices, and learning conditions in Sierra Leone. The project is one of the largest projects in the education portfolio in Sierra Leone, with the World Bank providing $50 million towards this important operation that is very important for the government of Sierra Leone, given the important focus on free quality education in the country. The project has several components that span all the aspects of the education system, both at the system level, but also at the school level. And the five components are around the policy governance, accountability, and system administration of the system. The second component is around teacher management and professional development. The third component is around school level education development. This is about providing performance-based financing to schools, 
based on a set of indicators looking at participation, presence in classroom, as well as reading and literacy comprehension, as well as increasing the strategic construction of approximately 500 classrooms to meet the basic infrastructure needs within basic education and provide community-based performance-based financing, PBF, that I just mentioned. The objective is to support approximately 2.4 million students, almost 75,000 teachers, as well as members of the school management committees in 9,300 primary and secondary schools. The same free project will have a component on the COVID-19 education response that is financed through the Global Partnership for Education, which is a global fund for education. And that COVID-19 component will be focusing on strategic communication, so around the communication of COVID, as well as continuous delivery, the radio teaching program, safe school reopening and health and safety of students, as well as effective operations and planning during and after the COVID-19 crisis. Part of the COVID-19 response is already being provided and supported under the existing free project and the other components as we finalize the GPE operation. The previous education projects that the World Bank supported was a joint GPE and IDA-funded operation, which just closed last year, December, which also supported the Ebola interventions. And that was over a five-year period, about 30 million or so. And the free project alone the support is $50 million, as well as a very important part of the free project is what we call the multi-donor trust fund, where we're going to have other development partners provide funding towards the same components that I just mentioned. And this is very important because for the government of Sierra Leone and the Ministry of Basic and Secondary Education to be able to have a coordinated dialogue and for all partners to support the various sector needs in a strategic and coordinated manner. So the other partners, the European Union, include Irish Aid, the UK Foreign Commonwealth Development Office, formerly known as DFID. Overall, it's approximately 16 million or so additional funding that will be provided through the multi-donor trust fund across those various partners. It's been really important to learn from what has happened, especially in the private schools. One of the nuances within the system in Sierra Leone is seeing how the non-public schools have responded and working jointly together with them to be able to enhance the radio lessons. One of the things that is very important to take note is the experience in Ebola crisis was that a lot of children did not go back to school after the crisis. So one of the most important things was keeping that student engagement. Of course, ensuring quality learning and improved learning is also an overarching achievement, but ensuring the interest of the students is maintained and that the importance of schooling and education is maintained within the family so that even when the crisis is over, these kids can go back to class. One of the things that I believe the TSC and the ministry has done differently this time is also do interactive radio teaching with the hotlines and with the use of WhatsApp and interacting with students and families during those lessons and making the lessons more succinct, shorter and not very long as they were during the Ebola crisis. So there's been a lot of lessons that have been applied and it's been really fascinating to work with the TSC in this response. And we hope that 
as we learn more on what works, we can do some evaluations as we're working with the EdTech Hub and also within the World Bank, the EdTech team. I myself am an EdTech fellow. So it's something that we want to make sure that we look at in terms of the best outcome for students, the different types of lesson plans in terms of timeliness, how long the interactiveness of it, but also other interactive techniques through TV, through possibly also tablets and other tools that we can use. As mentioned by Dr. Beckley, one of the big things that we're trying to do is ensuring each school has a tablet that can be a resource for teachers as a start before we even go down to the student level. So it's been very exciting. And of course, it's a large team from the bank side. I'm only one of the members. I have my colleague, Marie Sojo, who's based in Sierra Leone and who's in charge of the education portfolio, as well as other colleagues in the EdTech Hub and the Global Education Knowledge Unit, Marcela Guterres, and myself as well. Himdad, can you speak to the role that home teachers, parents, and caregivers play to support students to effectively use these radio lessons? I was not working on Sierra Leone at the time of the Ebola crisis, but I did work on the project after the Ebola crisis. A lot of the outcomes and the impacts is something that we looked at following on. There were other colleagues that were there, but we've been working closely with them to ensure the knowledge transfer to the team has taken place. The most important thing in terms of the radio is ownership. In each family, you probably have one radio at best. An important aspect is to ensure that there is communication and support for the head of the household to have the radio being used also for the education learning for the children. And this is something that Dr. Beckley has talked about and it's something that the TSC has campaigned significantly on. Beyond education, the radio education program has been an important tool on the health aspects of the COVID-19 itself so that families and parents are aware on the importance of hand washing, social distancing, and these other aspects. And of course, very, very importantly, and this cannot be emphasized enough, the girls' agenda, because one of the big unfortunate outcomes of the Ebola crisis was a huge increase in So this is something that Dr. Beckley adhered to in terms of the communication around this important topic and ensuring that girls are aware of the importance of school and being engaged in learning and, and how to protect themselves. Dr. Beckley, are you able to speak to the cost of deploying a radio program across the country so quickly during COVID and perhaps the comparative cost to Ebola? I was not part of the education program during the Ebola. I can only speak on our intervention during the current COVID-19 pandemic. When we started, we envisaged that we were to give stipends to the radio teachers. It was minimal. Since April, we have close to 500 million. What would that be in US dollars? I don't know, because we deal with Leons here. 500 million Leons since April. As the program expands and as we try to improve the effectiveness of the program, we might need more because teachers do need radios. The schools are on, the teachers are in their classrooms, and this is one way of making the program more effective. A typical radio station 
what would it need to function effectively? Well, the TSC has not been a part of it, even though we know what the requirements are. We need laptop computers for editing and even the recordings. We need more microphones, especially now during this pandemic, you cannot have teachers using the same microphones. We have to find a way of getting more microphones for safety and the health reasons. We need those tools in the studios and we need editors to edit the scripts. We have to put a cost for that. What we did and what we are currently doing, we're having one or two of the radio teachers editing the scripts because these things have to go online. And the last thing we want is for flawed, defective print material to be put online, to be uploaded on the website. So we have to build in a cost for editing these scripts. I know they're working on it. Right now, the radio station itself is shut down for maintenance, but the lessons are still being recorded. Teachers are still going to the studios to record the lessons. Once the station is up and running, again, the lessons will be broadcast. And what we're also planning to do is to have recordings of these lessons distributed to the schools, which happened in the 70s when radios were distributed to schools in the country, but at the time there were not so many schools. It was a World Bank project where these lessons were recorded, taped and given to the schools so that they can listen in their own time. This is one thing I really, really desire that the commission should work towards to ensure that every school has a device so that when we talk about teaching and learning materials, we have a new perspective of what this should be, not just textbooks and teacher manuals and registers. These are essential tools for teachers in the classroom in our own context. And it has been shown that they can be effective in the classroom. If you can talk to key challenges that you faced in deploying education radio programming so fast. The greatest challenge is the infrastructure itself. Right now, the station is down for maintenance, but teachers are still going to the studios to record. We have a little over 2 million children of school-going age in our population. We have 80,000 teachers. We would like radio to penetrate every corner in this country. We have 16 districts across the country, five regions, northwest, north, south, east. Western urban and Western rural. In all the 16 districts in the country, there's radio penetration. But within a district, you can have wide disparities. Every district has a community radio. Some districts even have access to the national radio form. In some districts, radio is not accessible, depending on the location. This is where the infrastructure comes in. In the large urban towns in every district, there's radio penetration. But within the districts, in the remote parts of the districts, there may not be any access whatsoever. Normally, you would think that the Western urban area district is the most privileged because it's urban. But there are remote island schools in the Western urban district. And there are very remote schools, mountain schools in the district. And because the radio transmitter is not strong enough to reach certain parts, even in the Western urban district, we have children that are not reached at all. So we have to work on the infrastructure. 
if you're running an education radio teaching program, you have to make sure that the transmitters work. You can design the most effective radio lesson, but if it does not reach the people, the beneficiaries that it should reach, then it's not quite effective in the end. In terms of radio penetration, we don't have specific data on the district level and specific usage at this moment. However, we do still have some basic data in terms of radio ownership which is an important proxy for the listenership. In Sierra Leone, at the national level, mind you, this is data from 2013, approximately 62% of the population have radio ownership versus the sub-Saharan Africa average of 55%. And within that, you have approximately 77% of the population having radio ownership in the urban areas versus the sub-Saharan Africa average of 64%. At the rural communities, approximately 55% of radio ownership vis-a-vis 49% of radio ownership at the sub-Saharan Africa levels. At the minimum, the radio ownership in Sierra Leone is higher than the African average. And it's important to note that multiple number of people can listen to one radio. So it's not at the individual levels. That's an important point. And then of course, radio ownership by wealth Quantile is also very different, with the poorest having 31% of the poorest population vis-a-vis 85% with the richest and in the middle band, approximately 68% of the population. So in terms of all the other distant learning media, the TV ownership is much lower at 14% at the national level, vis-a-vis 33% of the sub-Saharan African average. And we also have huge disparities between urban and rural, where approximately 38% of the urban population has TV, 2.8% of the rural. So in terms of the distance learning media to reach the most, radio is by far the best in Sierra Leone, or at least has the most outreach in Sierra Leone. You've been talking about impact evaluations and understanding the impact more in depth in the coming future. I think there was a three-day assessment on the radio teaching program and they received during those three days 543 calls and messages across the country and all of the concerns were adequately addressed by the radio manager. And among the findings we had, there was an urgent need to bring on board a few more communities radio stations in areas where the program was not heard. We had to popularize the radio teaching program and it should be intensified at the district level, not many people or as many people as we had anticipated knew about the program. So the mobilization, the information and communication on the program was to be intensified. Some even suggested a Facebook page to be created for the radio program for easy flow of information. There was a need to distribute radio sets to especially deprived communities and that there was need for the education radio to have its independent national coverage which the ministry is currently working on. The ministry is currently also envisaging a television program in addition to national coverage. The other feedback was that teachers were too fast, that they should slow down delivering their lessons, and that special attention and airtime should be given to the examination class. If you can speak to some of the learnings that you've had through this process of deploying radio programming so quickly during COVID across Sierra Leone. Because we wanted to get it up and running within a very short space of time, 
we did not have much time to plan. Ideally, you would sit down and plan properly and get all that you need, all the inputs and have the process and the mechanisms in place in the studio. We did not have time for that. All we were concerned about was to reduce the gap between the school closure and the time when the students were supposed to pick up again on their lessons. And this is a concern to me because now so many people have come forward to evaluate the radio teaching program. In an evaluation, you would assume that what is going to be evaluated was planned for. These things were not planned for. We just took off and we amend, modify, adjust as we go along. You would have the funding that is necessary to get things going. We did not have the opportunity of doing that. I'm a bit apprehensive about what the results might turn out to be because we did not have a robust planning process when we started. So I would say to anyone considering initiating a radio teaching program, learn from lessons that have been experienced by others who have operated radio teaching programs before and plan properly, get all that you need, have partners on board, who can support the program, not only on the technical side of the content, developing the content, getting the team together, but also on the other side, the infrastructure, the station itself, because that is so important. You can do all the planning of the content of the lessons, but if the infrastructure is not strong enough to manage and to deliver, then it would all be almost in vain. Then the, the softer part of that, meaning the IEC, getting people to know about the programs, reaching the farthest part of the country with the information that there is a radio station, there is a radio program, and the schedule also is important, getting people to know when the lessons are coming on. And of course, getting your team in place and providing for, for, for revisions, for review and planning meetings uh, ever so often, maybe once a month to get feedback. And this feedback is also important from the public. How do you get feedback? What is the mechanism that you can develop to get the feedback from the people who matter, from the students, from the parents, from the teachers themselves? This is so important, but we haven't done that. And we're banking on our stakeholders to help us to see how we can get robust feedback from the public on the impact of the program, on their views of the program, their perception of the program, and whether they think they benefited or not. We need all of these put together in one evaluation. Vimdit, what are perhaps you most curious about with education radio programming? What's next for education radio in Sierra Leone? From the World Bank perspective, we've come a long way from education radio program during the Ebola crisis and now with the COVID-19 emergency response to ensure that some sort of learning option available to students after the schools close so that they don't forget about school and hence the pressure to come up with a response. It's an iterative process. Adjustments were made uh, from April to the summer, focusing on the different groupings of students for examinations, etc. Moving forward, one thing is to explore how education radio programming can be supported outside of emergency response or beyond emergency response so that it is a complementarity toolbox to the general teaching and learning, both for the students, 
but also possibly as a option for professional development for teachers. And I think the commission and Dr. Bethley are very keen on this as well. And it's an exciting opportunity. The whole education technology agenda is a large one. And it's something that education radio programming will be a key component in that whole ed tech approach to, to improving teaching and learning in Sierra Leone. Thank you so much, Dr. Beckley and Himdat, for speaking to us today. Today's episode is produced through the support of the Global Partnership for Education's grant to support continuity of learning during the pandemic. Thank you.